This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. All right, so you're going to have to, what we call in Yiddish, halkot. You know what halkot means in Yiddish? When you learn Gemara, you got to focus, because tonight's first half, it's a little bit complicated. You know, I know I usually come in, I tell you stories about Bloomingdale's and all the other nice little things, but once in a while, we got to learn some Torah. So, I mean, everything is Torah, but um, there's like an amazing, amazing chidah um, this week that I would like to learn regarding um, Chai Sarah. And um, I think we're going we're gonna to find it very interesting. So first of all, the Pasha begins with the death of Sarah. The big question, the big question is, many of us learn in school, well, that's already a big compliment, many of us learn in school. Um, I wasn't one of them, but many of us do learn in school that Sarah Imenu died when she heard, she actually saw the Akedah Yitzchak, it says the Satan opened up like a, he showed her the, the Harabayas, he showed her the Akedah, when she saw Yitzchak on the Akedah, so, Picha Nishmatza, says Rashi, her Nishama flew out, Picha Nishmatza means it flew out, Umeitza, and she died. Her Nishama flew out and she died, or she died and her Nishama flew out? What happens first? So, so, the, so we all learn it as, she saw her only son being killed, wow, she couldn't handle it. Is that Sari Menu? Does that make sense to anyone in this room? Sari Menu was greater than Avram Avinu. If Avram Avinu was ready to do Akedah Yitzchak, you think if Sari Menu saw that Yitzchak was being shechted, she would die because of that? Just the opposite. She would say, Baruch Hashem, my son is being brought as a carbon. So I think that understanding is very um, misleading that we think that she was in pain, that she saw her son dying, that's why she died. So there's, there's many... Mepharshim that I've seen, the Chidah is something new that I saw for this week's Ashir. And some Mepharshim say just the opposite. She saw that Yitzhak didn't die. She saw that Yitzhak got off the Mizbeach. She, when she saw that, she thought that they failed. That Aram and Yitzhak failed the Akedah. When she saw that they failed the Akedah, she felt so bad, this was going to protect Klyasrael forever. And now they failed the Akedah, that's what killed her. Not that she saw that he was going to kill him, but just the opposite. She saw that he didn't kill him. That's a terrace that I saw a long time ago. But the Chidah says an amazing terrace which is connected to a shir that we gave two weeks ago. But I want first to understand who Sarah was, right? Who Sarah was. So Baruch Hashem, this past month Shabbos, I got to give a short little shir. Um, one of our students here, she, um, Ruth, she finished learning Shmir Talashin three times. So she probably, that's like, I mean, after you learn Shemir Talaj three times, can you say anything? I don't know. I don't know if you can say anything. But she finished it three times, and we made like a, a little seam. And I, Baruch Hashem, I had to prepare. You can't just get up in front of the roof and say anything you want. That's, that doesn't work that way. So I had to prepare. So I, where did I look to prepare? So every month of Shabbos, I learned Chidah. So I figured, you know what, before I come, I'm going to learn Chidah. I'm going to prepare something to say. So I'd like to repeat something that I said in, in, in her house. To understand who was Sari Menu. So if you take the words, says the Chidah, if you take the words, right? It says, Meyashana, Shana, Shana, Rashi says, why does it say 100 years, 20 years, 70 years? It just say 127 years. Why does it say, So Rashi says that when she was 100, she was like 20. When she was 20, she was like 7. A 7-year-old has no Averis. A girl's Averis start when she's 12, right? Now, in Bezen Shalmail, you're not judged until you're 20. So, when she was 20, she was like a 7-year-old. When she was 100, she was like, before she was like just 20. So that she had no Averis Bidei Shemaim. So she was pure, clean. In fact, Isaiah says that Sarimena would not have died. Would never have died because she had no Averis. If, if it wasn't from eating from Nefzah Das. Ooh, that's, that's who we're talking about. We have to understand... So you tell me she saw the Akedah and she got so, oh my goodness, look what's happening to my son that she died. Doesn't make sense. He says the following. He says, if you take the words, Vayihiyu chaye Sarameya, and Sarah was a hundred, right, twenty and seven. If you take the last letters of the word Vayihiyu, is a Vav. Chaye is a Yud. Sarah is a He. Meya is a He. Gives you a Vav, a Yud, and two He's, which is Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke. The Saif Tevais, the last letters of Vayiyu, Chaye Sarimeya, is Hashem's name. To teach us that the life of Sarimeinu 
was always around the Shem Havaya HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. He says, if you go on further, and he says, if you take the words, Vayiyu, Chaye, Sara, Meya, so if you take the last letters of each word, you have Yudke Vavke. If you take the first letter, let's take a look. Vayiyu is a Vav. Chaye is a Ches. Sara is a Shin. And Meya is a Mem. Spells Moshuach. B'schus Sara. B'schus Sara Imenu. Who her whole life was connected to the Yudke Vavke. Yavoy HaMashiach. Mashiach will come. Atkan Devarov. So this is what he says. He says that Sara Imenu was on the level that she was on the level of bringing Mashiach, she was on the level, she lived her whole life, which we're going to talk about, and Baruch Hashem had the schus of listening to Rabbi Brody um, this week, who wrote The Garden of Amuna, actually translated The Garden of Amuna, he spoke in our seminary, he spoke in our high school, and at the second half of our share tonight, I'm going to repeat some of the most amazing things that he said, maybe add a little bit, subtract a little bit, but he said, mainly what he said, and they were absolutely amazing, and it has a lot to do with this week's Parsha. Okay. He says the following, which I think is very interesting. He says that Avraham and Sarah, Avraham and Sarah were compared to the sun and to the moon. And we know that the moon, its whole power is the reflection of the sun. Now some of you might say, so the moon is nothing. Right? First of all, there was no moon at night, be no reflection of the sun at night, you'd have no light from the moon at night. So when the sun's not here, the reflection is coming from the moon. So when the husband's not home, who brings the light into the house? The wife. So he says, it was very interesting, Rabbi Brody said, he said, how do you know that the moon has, from the reflection of the sun, sometimes it has, we're not going to say more power, but we're going to say different power than the sun. He said that watermelons... And cantaloupes, you cannot grow in a greenhouse. You cannot use ultraviolet light because watermelons, melons, grow by moonlight. And if you want to ask your biology teachers or whatever, wherever you have to ask, it's a fact that melons don't grow from the sun, they grow from the moon. So if you take melons and you put them in a greenhouse and you give them fake sunlight, they will grow, they won't grow at all. Zero. So there's a, so the reflection Sometimes the reflection has a power to help things grow that the sun doesn't help grow. So a woman, a wife, even though she might say, oh, here they go again, Jewish religion, we're nothing, just reflection, right? But the truth is that we see here that the reflection has its own power. What controls the tides of the ocean, not the sun, the moon? Low tide, high tide is controlled totally by the moon. So the moon, even though it's just a reflection of the sun, has its own kaiches, has its own strength when it does this reflection. So that really came from, it's an interesting, just an interesting thought, the woman was cursed, because originally she was equal to the man. But when she ate, when she gave to Adam to eat from the Eitz Hadas, so one of the curses that she got is that she's gonna have to serve her husband. That was one of the two curses. What was the second curse? The second curse was that she's going to be the one that's going to give birth and she's going to have to go through labor and whatever else it takes to give birth. They're very connected, and I'll tell you how. It says the Chidah the following, that Avram and Sarah were equal. They were equal. We know that Sarah might have even been bigger than Avram. If the male and the female are equal, you can't have children. You cannot have children. They cannot be equal. This is the Zayah said, this is what the Chidah brings down. So he said that what HaKadosh Baruch Hu have to do, he did two things. By the Brisbane of Sarim, he promised Avraham Avinu that he's going to have children. How's he going to have children if Sarim Menu is equal to him? Because two equals can't have children. So two, two kings can't have a kingdom. It has to be one. So Hashem went ahead and he added a hey to Avram's name. And he made it from Avram to Avraham. What did he do to Sarah? He took Sarah's Yud, and he, which is worth 10, Yud is worth 10 in Gematria, and he gave her a hay. So he upped Avram 5, and he lowered Sarah 5. So now they could have children. What happened? How did Hashem make up for it? 
He gave him a child. What's the child's name? Yitzchak. He gave her back. Because Yitzchak, we're going to see soon, was connected very much to Sari Imenu. So he gave her back the Yud. The Yud from Yitzchak. She had a child called, named Yitzchak. He gave Sarah back the ten, right? Because now she didn't need to have any more children. So he brought it back to the same level as Avraham Avinu. And then they were able to have children. So why am I telling you this? So the Chidah says that a person's neshama and a person's guf are also a team and they have to, they have to produce, right? What's, what does the neshama produce? A physical body produces a child, a physical child. The neshama produces Torah and mitzvahs, emotional, schusim, things in the spiritual world. So, if the guf, a person's body, and his soul are equal, then they can't produce anything. They can't produce anything. One of them has to serve the other. If the guf serves the neshama, then from the neshama can come a spiritual child. If the neshama serves the guf, then from the guf can't come a spiritual child. So he says, the chidah says, that a person has to work on himself to make sure that his guf is not that his neshama is not subservient to his guf. And a person in this world, in the world that we live today, we're so into the body, and the body, and the body, that we forget about the soul. And if the body is in control of the soul, not only you're not going to produce anything, mitzvah, story, mitzvah, but you're going to end up destroying everything. This is what the chidot says. The reason I'm telling you this chidot, because it's very connected to the, the main point that I'm going to get to in my share. Okay. So he says the following. And this is a little hard to understand. I'm not going to really get into it because we spoke about it a few weeks ago. We know that Yitzchak was born with a female neshama. Okay, now, we're not going to get into what that means. The Chidot says, in the name of the Zaya, that in Sefer Gugulim it brings down that Sarah Imenu was the Gilgal of Chava. And I'm going to prove that to you tonight. And Avram Avinu was the Gilgal of Adam. Sarah Imenu and Yitzchak Avinu, when he was born, shared the same female neshama of Chava. And therefore, and therefore, when they shechted Yitzchak on the Akedah, and we learned two weeks ago, that when they shechted him, they cut one of his pipes. And his neshama flew out. Whose neshama flew out? His neshama was Chava's neshama. Because he was, right, he was part of Sari Menu, which was Chava's nukva neshama, which was Chava's female neshama. And that flew out. Automatically, when he lost that half of the neshama, the other half of the neshama that was in Sari Menu left Sari Menu. That's why Rashi uses the word, not that she died and her neshama left, when Yitzchak's neshama, which was part of Chava, left, so the other part of Chava that was in Sarah also left. Okay, cool. Why are you telling us this? What happens? If you look in, in the Akedah, it says that Avraham Avinu went and he took an ayol, he took a ram, right? He took a ram instead of Yitzchak, which is very hard to understand. Because what's the big deal? What's the test of taking a ram? Right? Why is the Torah telling us? What does it say here? He took the ram. And he took this ram and he brought it up for an oila instead of his son. Uh, and is any of us in this room impressed? The whole thing of the Akedat Yitzchak was that he was bringing up one of his own children he was willing to shecht one of his own children for Hashem. So now Hashem said, don't shecht your child. So what did he bring up instead of his child? A ram? Big deal. Who cares? What, what kind of sacrifice is that? He, he shechted rams every day for food. So if he would have said, instead of his son, he brought Ishmael up. He shechted Eliezer. Um, he shechted Sarah. That he went ahead and now he said, oh, you know what? I passed the test. Now, I'm going to show Hashem my feelings for him. I'm going to give him an ayu. 
And it says in the Torah, Tachas Benoi, instead of his son. So the Chidot says that in this aisle, that in this aisle was the soul that left Yitzchak when he was shechted, that neshama of Chava went into the aisle. How do we know that? Because it says, Vayavoy, he brought, right, where's the, where's the pasuk? He brought an aisle, right, where's the, where does it say Vayavoy? Ah, okay. So in this week's parasha, I'm sorry, in Chayisara, it says like this. It says that she died, right? And it says, "What Thomas Sora bekiyas arba he Chevron ve'es Kenan vayavo Avraham lispoid lisora vayavo he came. What do you mean he came? What, what is it telling us vayavo? Because Avraham Avinu knew that the minute he shechted, the minute he shechted Yitzchak, and his neshama left him, he knew that Sarah died. He knew that Sarah died. Where did, he, where, where did this neshama go? It went into the aisle. So he said, now, Chava's neshama is in the aisle. How am I going to be masaking it? The only way to be masaking it is to shech the aisle. So that's why the Torah says, Tachas benoi. He brought the aisle instead of his son. His son, he was being masaking, Chava's neshama. Now the neshama left and went to the aisle. So Tachas benoi, the, the neshama that went from his son into the aisle, that's who he had to shech. How do you know this? If you take the words by Yavoy, that Avram came lispoid l'sara to say a eulogy on Sarah, but Yahweh stands for Rosh Hashanah, the Nishmas Yitzchak b'toich ayel. And the Neshama of Yitzchak was inside the ayel. Shahakol Shairish Echad, it was all one Shairish. Okay, very nice. Rabbi Walsing, why are you telling us all this? Right? We don't have to learn Kabbalah, we don't need to know. Gilgul Chava, right? What's going on over here? Because to understand this parsha, you have to understand what happened here. So now, they look for a shidduch. We know from the Rav Chaim Vital, Rav Chaim Vital says that that neshama now that was shechted, that was in the aisle, where did it go? Where did the neshama of Chava go? The neshama of Chava went into Rivka. How do we know that? Because it says that Rivka was born at the moment of the Akedah Yitzchak, Rivka was born, when... Yitzchak came to, to the field after three years being in Gan Eden. He met Rivka. This is this week's parasha, right? And he was coming from the Sada, which was Gan Eden. And it says, how old was Rivka? She was three years old. Which means, I'm coming to a certain point. Which means that now Rivka had whose neshama? Chavah's. She had Chavah's neshama. Okay. So now she has Chava's neshama, and she has to be Masakein, Chava's neshama. Okay, so now let's see what happens. Now, it also says that all the Avais, oh, thank you very much. For the deal, we'll have a good drink soon. So it says that all the Avais had to be Masakein Adam Zavera, and all the Imois had to be Masakein Chava. So that means that Yitzchak, that Yitzchak, who is now Yitzchak, had whose neshama? He got a male neshama. So that's why he was able to have children with Rivka. Whose male neshama did he get? He had Adam's neshama. So once again, if you learn the Nistar and the secrets of the Torah, Adam and Chava were back once again. In which, in what way? Rivka was Chava, and Yitzchak was Adam. But we know that Yitzchak Right, once upon a time, before he lost the neshama of Chava, he was part of Sarah. Sarah had half the neshama, he had the other half of the neshama. Now let's take a look at the psukim in this week's parasha. It comes full circle. Oh, does it come? Wait till you see how it comes full circle. Amazing, 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 amazing. If you learn the Torah, you see amazing things. Listen carefully. Vayikach evidence rifka vayelech. I mean, girls, I know, you know, falling for a guy is one thing, but she fell off the camel. Right? She saw Yitzchak. I mean, this is Tyra. This is not a romantic story, right? She, she sees Yitzchak. What's she falling off the camel for? 
right? So she fell off the camel because when she saw, she had the Nisham of Chava, when she saw Yitzchak, she saw Adam. And Chava realized that she's back with Adam, and now is her, t- her chance to fix the whole Avera of the Eitz And let me show you how she fixed it. So then it says, a very interesting Pasek, And Yitzchak brought her to the oil of Sarah, his mother. That's a little weird. Why would he bring Rivka to his mother's tent? He didn't live in his mother's tent. He brought it to the tent of Sarah. And he, he married her and he loved her. And after marrying Rivka, he had Menachem. He wasn't upset anymore. He was consoled. Why was he consoled? Because once again, his mother had the Neshama of Chava. He lost that. Now, he married Rivka. And Rivka has that Neshama back. So Vayinachem, he wasn't missing his mother anymore. He now had a woman in his life that had the same Neshama of Chava that he and his mother shared originally before the Akedah. That was in a Chama. Okay, very nice. Now, let's go to next week's parasha. Pasha's told us, unbelievable. What was, what was her Avera? What was Chava's Avera? Chava's Avera was that she came to Adam and she gave him, it says, the Gemara says they were grapes, but she didn't give them grapes because he would have known that the grapes were from the Etzadat. So she brought him wine. And he didn't know what wine was. It was a drink. He didn't know that the wine was from the grapes of the Etzadat that were squeezed. And he drank the wine. That's what she did. And she gave very bad Etzah. She gave him advice to drink from the, from the wine from the Etzadat. So now... What did she bring to the world? What did she bring to her husband? Klala. She brought Klala to the world. So now she said, I have to be masaking that. And through trickery, the same trickery that I used on my husband to get him to do the big Aveira when he was Adam and I was Chavati from the Etadas, I'm now going to be masaking trickery with the same thing that I got him into trouble is the same way I'm going to get him out of trouble. With trickery... I'm going to end up having him give the bracha to Yaakov Avinu, who was the opposite of the Nachash. Esav ze Nachash. Esav ze Amalek. Esav was the Nachash. She said, I'm going to steal away from the Nachash what he stole away from me. He stole away from me the bracha and gave me the klala. I'm now going to do the same thing to the Nachash using his same tactics. I'm going to be more Orum than the Nachash was Orum. And if you look in the psukim, if you look in the psukim, it's amazing. Because when, when, I, when Yitzchak, when Yitzchak asked Esau to get him matamim, he told him to go, he told him to go hunting. Say hasadeh, go into the field, but sudalitzayin, and find me, hunt me down some meat, some venison, and bring me like lambs, bring me a deer meat. Go hunt and bring me meat. That's all he asked for. He didn't ask for bread or cake or wine or soda or anything. He told him, go out and bring me meat. What happens when she sends, when Rivka, who is now Chava, sends Yaakov, who is the Yetzir Tov, to Yitzchak, who cannot see? She has to be Misakim, that all those years in the beginning of creation, she gave him wine from the Etadas. So she had to be Masakin. The wine that brought the Klala, she has to make it into wine that brings the Bracha. So if you look in the Pasuk, Yaakov, Yitzchak asked Yaakov to bring him meat. What does she send? He says, come close to me. Yitzchak says, And Yaakov came close to Yitzchak. And he ate. He brought him the meat. And his mother sent him to bring his father yayin wine. And he drank. 
he never asked Esau to bring wine. He just asked Esau to bring meat. And all of a sudden the Torah says that Rivka, who is now Chava, sent with Yaakov meat, but also wine, because she wanted him to give a bracha on the wine because she caused a klala from the wine. And Chitaka was misaking it. And what does, and this is the final word from Rebchaim Vital on this, what, what happens when Yaakov said to his mother, to Rivka, he said, if my father finds out about this trickery, he's going to curse me. So and Rivka said to Yaakov, I'm already have the curse on me. I'm Chava. I've already been cursed. The curse is on me. You have nothing to worry about. This whole story that's happening here is a tikkun for me. So she answered him, don't worry about getting cursed. I'm the one who's cursed. I'm Chava. I'm the one who got the curses. And therefore, and take this for me. What do you mean? What is Rivka telling Yaakov in this passage? Take it for me. It wasn't for her. It was for Yaakov to get the bracha. No, she said, the curse is on me because of what I did as Chava. Go do this. You don't got nothing to worry about. This has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me. Kachli, do this, Yaakov, for me because I needed Tikkun. And this was Taka, the Tikkun for Chava, this whole story of the stealing of the Bechaira. You think, eh, stealing the Bechaira. It's all about the Tikkun for what Chava did originally in the beginning of the world to be Mesakein what happened. And it's all in the Psukim of the Torah. Why am I, why am I telling you this? Chida and Rav Chaim Vital. Every person that's here is here for a reason. We're here to be mistaken what we did last time wrong. Whatever it is. How do you know what you did wrong last time? The thing that you have the biggest problem with. This time, if it's sneers, that's what you did wrong last time. If it's that you, you can't give money away, that's what you did last time. If you're a mechutzav dick, that's what you did last time. Whatever you have the, the hardest struggle with, whatever that is, that's what you did last time. You can't have any respect for your parents, because last time you didn't have respect for your parents. And that's your, and that's, that's, that, that's your tikka, and that's why you're here. And if you don't fix it, you're going to come back again. And it may be worse the next time. It usually is. So, I'm just trying to show you from the Torah that, that Chava, look what happened. The Shema came back in Sarah and in Yitzchak and then it came out of both of them and then it went into an aisle and the aisle got shechted and then it went into Rivka and then Rivka had to go and, 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 trick, ya, and trick Yitzchak to give a bracha to Yaakov and all this whole story in the Torah which you would never know if you didn't know the Nisra of the Torah was all to give her a chance even though she did a terrible Avera in the beginning of the world to give her a chance. So I, from this you see that every person after 120 years, when you come up to the next world, you're going to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you many chances in your life. You have to do all kinds of stuff to give you a chance to be masakin while you're here. A person has to be in touch with themselves and has to understand what their biggest struggle is, and that's why you're here. Girls tell me, you know, I'm struggling with my sneers. Yeah, some girls don't struggle at all with sneers. They're more modern, they're less religious, they have no problem with sneers. Because the last time, that was their problem. Or kibbutz Avayim, or Shalom Bayis, or whatever it is that you're struggling, the thing that you have the hardest time with, that's really why you're here. That's what you're here to be misaking. And while you're here, being misaking that, you have a whole life and a potential to do so many more mitzvahs, to do so much more, to grow so much. It's not only, only don't come down for, for that thing. You're here already. If you're here, it's like walking into a safe and they tell you you can take everything. And you're like, no, I'm just after a diamond brooch. And you walk in there, and you take the diamond brooch, and all the gold and silver are laying there, and you walk out. The sugar no. You're there already anyway. Fill up your pockets. What are you doing? So yes, everyone's here to be masaking something, but the mitzvahs are laying all over the place. They're all over the place. So, 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 so grab them. You have a mitzvah, kibbutz of aim? Grab it. You have parents? Grab it. Don't wait till you don't have parents, and you can't, be, and you can't do kibbutz of aim. You've got to go to the grave once a year and, and talk to a stone. That's what you're waiting for. While they're alive, and you can feel them, and you can hug them, and you can kiss them, and you can talk to them, and you can call them for Shabbos. That's when you got to do kibbutz of aim. When they're in the ground, they're ready. It's very hard to do kibbutz of aim when they're in the ground. So what is everybody waiting for? You have parents? Rabbi Gamliel always tells me, Rabbi Gamliel lost his mother when he's very young. He says, my father has to live forever. So I have to do kibbutz of aim. I need him. He said, I lost my mother. I lost half my mitzvah. Yeah, that's how he looked at it. 
We looked at it, oh, I lost my mother, oh, it's a tragedy. He looked at it, I lost the mitzvah. More than my mother, I lost the mitzvah. I can't, I can't call her for Shabbos. Yes, you could do mitzvahs and say her name, but who remembers? Who remembers? So we need to do this while we're alive, not to wait till we're not here. Anyway, I brought you all this whole chidah and this whole thing just to show you how much Hashem has to do sometimes in order to be masakin and neshama, but He's willing to do it. And if it wasn't for the arcade that we learned, there would have been no Yitzhak, would have never had children, because he was in the Shema Dinuk. So the whole thing was written, it looks like a regular passion, the whole thing was written to get to this point that she could fix the wine, she could give the wine, get a bracha, and fix everything that she did. So in our lives, Kishbaku does this all the time. He gives us chances to fix, to fix, to fix, to fix. You have to jump on it. Okay. I'd like to talk a little bit about, and this is on, on this subject matter, on, on the connection between a person and our Kodesh Baruch and, and this is what Rabbi Brody spoke about, and he said some, some very, very fascinating things. There's one subject I'd really like to spend a couple, I know it's very late, we started late, but I'd like to just spend a couple of minutes on this subject. He said the following. He says, when a person's thirsty, right, so your mouth gets dry, your tongue gets dry, your mouth gets dry, right, the water that you drink, what needs the water? Your mouth? Does your mouth need the water? No. Mouth doesn't need the water. Your body needs the water. Right? Now, your mouth gets dry. Hashem created a mechanism, a trigger, when your body is, needs water, so your mouth gets dry to tell your brain and the rest of you that I need water. If your mouth would not get dry... And you would not know that you need water, you would just drop dead in the middle of the street. Because you don't know that you need water, you didn't drink water, right? And we know many people, you know, you go into the hot sun in Israel sometimes, right? And all of a sudden you dehydrate and you faint. What's going on, right? It's because you didn't have enough time for the triggers to tell you that you need water. So if a person didn't have triggers that their mouth gets thirsty, you wouldn't know that you need water. So Hashem knew that people are not especially me, right? I definitely wouldn't do this. People are not going to stop like a horse, right? Every hour and get a water break. It's just not going to happen. Oh, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. Also, I'll be dead. For two days, he said, I'll do it later. I'll be dead. So Hashem created us that you have to get thirsty. And you get more thirsty and you get more thirsty and you have to take a drink. So he also created us the same way with food. So the person would never eat if he didn't, get, if he didn't feel in his stomach that he's hungry. Your stomach is not hungry. Your stomach, the organ of, that's a little teeny organ. Your toes need the nutrients, your brain needs the nutrients, your liver needs the nutrients, your fingers need the nutrients. Every part of your body needs the nutrients, not just your stomach. So why doesn't your brain get hungry? Why doesn't your kidney get hungry? Why doesn't your toe get hungry? Right? Why isn't your toe hungry? My toe's hungry. Right? So because Hashem created one aver in your body, one limb in your body, to tell the rest of the body, the body needs food. The body needs food. And that's why Hashem created hunger and thirst. It's just a symptom to the actual need. So Rabbi Brody asked, how does a person know when your soul is hungry? A person's physical body, so you have symptoms. And the symptoms are, my mouth is dry, I'm thirsty. My stomach's growling, I'm hungry. So those are physical signs for a physical body. But what's the signs for a soul that's hungry? For a soul who hasn't connected to God in a very long time. And the answer that he said is a very scary word. And the word is... Anyone know? Depression. It says when a person is depressed, when a person feels low and depressed, it is the symptom, it is the emotional symptom. You can't have a physical symptom for an emotional dis- problem. So when, you're, when your emotional gas tank is running out of gas, your stomach's not going to get hungry. And your mouth is not going to get thirsty. You're going to get depressed. You're going to get down. You're going to get down on yourself. You're going to get agita. You're going to get anxiety. When you get anxiety and when you get depressed, that's the emotional Hunger of the soul. A person who's close to Hashem and his soul is not hungry, you will never find depressed. Ramosha Feinstein was never depressed. He was very close to Akash Baruch. You walked in, you lit up. 
They have a warmth. Where does that warmth come from? Why aren't they depressed? Gidoilim and Sadiqim. Why aren't they depressed? And the answer is, they're not depressed because they're feeding their souls. Depression is an emotion. If the soul is full, then there's no reason for the symptom to say that it's hungry. Right after you finish a steak dinner, your stomach's not growling. So he said, it's very interesting because it's, it's so true. I've been saying it in a, in a different way for a very long time. So he said, so what do we do? So you're depressed. So what do you do? You pop a pill. He says, but the pill is physical. So you're popping a pill to fix an emotion that's, that's a problem with your soul. So you're feeding the emotion something that's physical. You can't fix an emotional deficit hunger with something that's physical. So if someone comes up to me and says, Rabbi Wallstein, I am very thirsty. And I say to them, I'm going to take care of your thirst in a second. How? I'm going to give you an hour sheer. <laughs> you know, look at me. Can I get a drink of water? No. I'm going to give you the most emotional share I ever gave in my life. An hour share is going to be happiness and love. And I'm going to get your emotions flying. And guess what? You're going to be dying of thirst. It's not going to help you. You're going to tell me, right, Wallstein, I'm starving. I haven't eaten in two days. I want to, we want to break our fast. It's Monday, Tisha It's 8 o'clock. I'm like, no. I'm giving you a share for another three hours. Guess what? My words, you're going to eat my words. And you're all going to be full. You're going to be sitting here one at a time, sneaking out the back. I can't feed you physical food with my words. But where doesn't, the other way around, you can't feed emotional, an emotional deficit, a hunger, an emotion. You can't feed that with material things. This is so on target, it is scary. So a person is depressed, so they go ahead and they go shopping. Right? And they, they go shopping. And, they, and, and for that moment that they're shopping, they feel better. And then they're back into their depression. A person is depressed. Me, right? When I get depressed, what do I do? I eat. <laughs> Everything. Anything. Especially chocolate. Right? So it's great. You feel good about the chocolate. But did you solve your problems? Did you help your emotional problems? No. Now you have more emotional problems because you look in the mirror and you're like, uh-oh. Right? So... It just makes it, it just makes it, it just makes it worse. So he said our generation, the problem with our generation is that we're being misdiagnosed. We're being, the whole generation is being misdiagnosed. We're being diagnosed that we're not happy because we don't have things. And the reason we're not happy is because we're emotionally starving and our soul is screaming out in depression and it's giving us this symptom and I don't feel well. I want to sleep in my bed all day. I don't want to get up. There's no reason for me to live. All that is not something that you can fix with a pill or a drug or drinking or a good movie or a good cry or a good book. It's not going to fix it because the soul's happiness is connection to God. And if you're disconnected from God, then your soul cannot be happy. And sooner or later, that pill is going to wear off. That pill doesn't fill you up. That pill just makes you feel that you're not hungry. But it doesn't fill you up. Drugs and all the things that we do to make ourselves happy, they don't fix the soul. They just make you, sometimes we call it, a, it's like a diversion. So it's like if someone wants to pull your tooth from the old days, so the doctor would make some jokes before he gives the kid a needle. So the kid doesn't feel the needle. He does feel the needle, but by the time he feels the needle, it's over because he made the kid laugh. But the needle still hurt. It's called diversion. So there's many diversions that we have, but the bottom line is we always come back and we're still depressed because we didn't connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We are so misdiagnosed. We are so misdiagnosed in this generation that we're so busy with all kinds of physical things to fix our emotional problems, our emotional disconnection with Hashem. It can't. It's like you're coming to me and telling me you're thirsty and I'm giving you salty pretzels. I'm just making you more thirsty. When you come to me and someone's depressed and I give them pills or a good movie or a good laugh or whatever it is, I'm not helping the neshama. The neshama is screaming, I'm depressed because I have no connection to Hashem. I don't talk to Him. I don't see Him. I have nothing to do with Him. So what are you giving that person? That person smoking up a joint? So how is that going to help his neshama? It's not going to help his neshama. It's just going to make him not feel. But when he feels later, the infection, the pain is even more. So he gives a very beautiful, very beautiful muscle. And he gives a marshal with an airplane. And he says, and I'll end with this story. He says, an airplane 
was flying from New York to California. And the pilot and the co-pilot are having a great time. They're sitting in the cockpit. They're having a ball. They're enjoying themselves. Everything's great. They put it on automatic. They're three hours into the flight. These guys are the biggest party guys, this, this pilot and co-pilot. They don't have to do anything. Everything's on automatic. All of a sudden, there's a little red light flashing in the corner. Oh, my goodness. It's the left engine. The left engine is losing oil. It's losing power. It's losing everything. So the co-pilot tells the pilot, oh, my goodness, we got to land in Chicago. Over Chicago. we got to land right now. We're going to lose the whole plane. we got 500 people on the plane. we got to land the plane. He says, what's bothering you? What do you mean what's bothering me? Don't you see the red light flashing on the starboard? He says, no problem. Watch this. Pulls off the red cover, pops out the bulb, puts back the cover, says, no more problems. <laughs> and of course, this plane's going to crash. What's the question? The plane's going to crash. What did you do? You didn't fix the engine. You just popped out the bulb. So Laser Brody says the same thing with us. We're in pain. We're going through depression. We're going through a hard time. Instead of landing and fixing what's bothering us, that we're disconnected from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, we're busy popping out the bulb. And saying, okay, now there's no problem. Because I don't feel the pain anymore because I took this and I took that and I took that. Meanwhile, all you did was pop out the problem and you're going to crash. In the end, you're going to crash. So he says, you have to go out and you have to connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And how do you connect HaKadosh Baruch Hu? By having a Muna. And how do you have a Muna? By talking to God. You have to talk to God. So the person has to talk to God. And everybody in this room has and the ability to talk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, To sit on your bed tonight, to go out tomorrow morning, to, and to talk to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, some people in here are going to tell me, and some of the girls after they heard the speech said, it's a very nice speech that he has a Muna. Do you know how many times I spoke to God? He never answers me. Right? Many of us feel that way. I needed a Shidduch. I cried. I went to the Kaiso. I sat on my bed all night. I cried. My grandmother was sick. She died. The Shidduch never happened. You know, it's very nice to get up and give a whole speech, the light bulbs, the plane, all this baloney, you know, it's baloney. Because I cried to Hashem and uh, nothing happens. So I answered this girl. I jumped in. So he said a very cute story. He said he gets all these letters and these emails because of his book. So he said that there was a girl in South Dakota that read his book. And, and, and she, she, she writes this story to him. She says, so I didn't believe anything you wrote. So I went out into the field and I said, God... Rabbi Brody wrote that you can talk to God, and he answers. So now I'm talking to you. Show me a sign that you really love me. So he said that in South Dakota, there's a gopher called the star-spangled gopher. It's a little gopher, a little animal, and it has stripes and, like, stars on its back, and it comes out of its hole, and it's very nasty. It doesn't get along with humans at all. He says, she writes this, she writes, he said, I'll show you the email. She writes, you're not going to believe this, Rabbi. So there I am standing to God and saying, show me a sign. This little star-spangled gopher comes out of the hole, looks at me, she goes, Rabbi, I swear, he smiled at me. <laughs> so he had the email. And then he went back into the hole. But I said something else to the girls. I said, you know, you know, hide and go, hide and go seek. I played it as a kid. Some kids, when they play hide and go seek, sometimes they play with my grandchildren. So I'm like, let's go, you know, somebody, one of the kids are hiding, let's go find them. And I know the kid's in the bathroom, and I know he's behind the shower curtain. And the kids all run into the bathroom. No, he's not here. They run into the bedroom. No, he's not here. And they're running all over the place. No, he's not here. And I tell my grandchild, I said, he is in the bathroom. I'm telling you where he is. He's in the bathroom. Kid runs back into the bathroom, looks at the toilet, under the toilet, in the tissue box, all over the place, runs back out. He's not there, Zaydi. I'm like, he's in the bathroom. Zaydi, he's not there. I'm like, you didn't look everywhere. Goes back in three, four times till finally I have to say, shower curtain. <laughs> what, JD? What'd you say? Shower curtain. And then, of course, he moves the shower curtain and he finds him. Now, how come he didn't find him all those times? Because it depends how you look. So the girls were saying, some of the girls were feeling very much, and some of the people in this room, no matter what story I'm going to tell you about Imuna and Hashem, you're going to say to me, it's very nice, Rabbi Wallace, great stories, you have a lot of good stories, but the bottom line is, been there, done that, I don't see God. I don't see Him. Sorry, I call on Him, I ask for Him, I talk to Him, He never answers me back. My answer to you is, you're not looking hard enough. Oh, every rabbi says that. <laughs> every rabbi says you're not looking hard enough. You guys always have an answer. I don't know. I go into a flower store. I see God. I go into a fruit store. I see God. I don't need to see a gopher in the middle of a field. If I'm looking, if I'm looking for a Kodesh Baruch Hu, I see God in everything. If you don't see Him, 
means you didn't look at the rainbow, you didn't look at the clouds, you didn't get out in the morning and see the sunrise. He's all over the place. You're just playing hide-and-go-seek like the father's looking for the afikoma and he just wants the bench already. So he goes and he runs around and goes, I can't find it. You didn't really look for the afikoma. If you really look for the afikoma, you'll find it. And when you find the afikoma, you get a prize. A person who really looks for God finds him. And that's the greatest prize of all. The problem is that we don't look for him. We make believe we look for him. We don't really look for him. He is so close to you, you wouldn't believe it. You want to tell me, want me to tell you how close God is to you? I'll tell you how close God is to you. Every single person in this room, Baruch Hashem, has a heart. And every person in this room has a heartbeat. Your heartbeat beats 60 times per minute. Good sports athlete. 60 times per minute. If you times that by 60 for an hour, and you times that right by 24 for a day, and you times that by 30, 30 days for a month, times 12 for a year, times 30 years. You do the math and you calculate it tonight. You will find that when you are 30 years old, your heart, Baruch Hashem, has beat one billion times. Do the math. One, not a million, one billion heartbeats by the time you're 30 years old. Average life of a human will say 70. That's two billion point something heartbeats in in an average lifetime. No electricity, no gas, no oil, no battery, no going in every 100,000 beats for, a, for an oil change. You should be healthy, because you don't need anything. Two billion heartbeats on its own, without any switch, on, off switch. There's no switch, there's no, there's no electricity, nothing. You're looking for Hashem? Two billion heartbeats, He's right here. Now, Rav Lazer said, I don't know, I never did it. If you listen to your heartbeat with a stethoscope, you'll hear, Yud K, Vav K. Yud K, Vav K. That's what he said. I, I, I never did that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You don't even have to go outside in, into my flower store to find Hashem. Just in your own body and the way you say Ashiyatsa and the way you, your body works. He's there. You can find him everywhere. And he answers. So I want to tell you a little secret, which he did with the girls, which I think was amazing, because I did it with him. And we're not going to do it here. I don't want you to start getting emotional. And He did the following. You can do this. You go home tonight. He said, imagine you have a Zaydi, a grandfather, right? Some of you have had a grandfather. Some of you never had a grandfather. I had a grandfather. A Zaydi never sees anything wrong in his grandchildren. A Zaydi is the safest place. After... We used to get beat by our parents. Where'd you run? You ran to your Bobby and your Zaydi. Bobby and Zaydi was candy on the table, a hug and a kiss, and on their lap, you could tell them all your secrets. Safe place. The safest place in the world is a Bobby and a Zaydi. So he said, you have to look at a Kajbarach like a Bobby and a Zaydi. You have to close your eyes. I did this, it's amazing. You have to close your eyes when you get home and sitting on your bed. You have to imagine that you're sitting in your Zaydi's lap. Hashem is your Zaydi. And that he's giving you a big fat hug and you're spilling out all the stuff that you're going through to him. And there's nothing that you could tell him what Aveira you did or whatever you did. There's nothing you could tell your grandfather that he won't make an excuse for you. You could say, Zaydi, I can't believe I killed 10 kids today. Nah, you didn't really kill them. They killed themselves. You have to been there. Right? Zaydi will never find anything wrong with his, children, his grandchildren. He says, close your eyes. Go into Hashem's hands. And, and just let it go. Amazing. He says, and you'll hear an answer. Amazing. It's, it's true. We're just so busy with our cell phones and everything else that we're so busy with that we can never go to a certain time where we just put ourselves in our Zaydi's hands. So I want to give everyone a bracha taka that, um, that we should be able to quench our emotional thirst with a Baruch Hu, with a Muna. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Munah HaKadosh Baruch Hu means that you believe that Hashem is there. He's everywhere. And that you are extremely important. One of the girls asked a fantastic question. She said, what does Hashem care 
if I have a miserable life or if I don't keep Shabbos or if I don't keep anything. He has so many other daughters. Fair question. He has a million daughters. What does Hashem care? So Rav Nachman, who is he's a breast of a chassid, so we know in Kabbalah that the whole Klai Yisrael is one body. And our body of Klai Yisrael, Neshama, is connected with part of Hashem. So he said, if you take a person's finger and you cut it off, and it's on the floor, and the guy's screaming, you're like, what are you screaming for? You have another nine. <laughs> you have nine more fingers. What's the problem? You say, you're right, I had nine fingers, but I had ten. And now I don't have ten, and I'm missing one, and it hurts like crazy. There's something you should never know, girls, in your lives. But I've heard, I've heard of it, I've read about it. Someone who has an amputation, who has a limb cut away from their body, there's a pain called a phantom pain. Which means that never someone in the army got his hand blown off, he doesn't have a hand, and he's screaming in pain that my right hand is killing me and he doesn't have a right hand. The, the, the reason that that is such a scary pain is that you can't heal it because there's no hand to heal. It's called a phantom pain. You could look, it's, it's a, and it exists. In fact, I have phantom, what I call phantom phone vibrations on Shabbos, right? Because my phone, many times, I'm giving a share, it's on vibrate. I don't want to disturb anybody. So on Shabbos, I'm sitting in the middle of davening and I feel in my pocket, my phone's vibrating and I'm panicking. Oh my goodness, I put my phone on my pocket. There's nothing there, right? So there's a phantom phone vibration. I'm sure some of you have it too. So you feel like something's vibrating in your jacket. It's not there because you're so used to it. So, so, so that's something, a phantom pain, a phantom pain you can't fix because the limb is not there to fix. Says Rabbi Nachman that every Jewish girl and every Jewish boy is a limb of God. Is a nitzitz of God. Is a limb of God. If that limb gets cut off, it doesn't matter how many other limbs God has. That limb is cut off. And if that limb is really cut off, then the pain that Hashem has is a phantom pain. Because that person's not there anymore. There are certain averages in the Torah that it says, Yechayef kares. Kares means cut off. The soul is cut off. The limb is cut off. Yes, you can bring that limb back by doing tshuva. But if you don't do tshuva, that limb is cut off. He says, the pain that Hashem has when he loses one of his daughters, she's not even there to fix anymore. She's so far away that she's not even there to be fixed. He says, that's a pain that Hashem can't console. I saw this in Pasha's Truma in the Zayar. Zayar describes this. And Hashem says, anyone who brings me back that girl or that boy, that limb, from the dark king, will sit next to me and the Shekhinah in the other world and will get the key to go wherever they want. It's the Russian of what it says in Pasha's Truma on a person that brings another person back to the body. Because once you, once you, my daughter, one of my daughters, when she was very small, so her finger got cut off in, in between two doors. We're on a Shabbos. We took the finger, we put it in a cup of water. We called that Salah. They took us to Bellevue. Within an hour and a half, they did microsurgery. They, they put it back on. You'd never know ever today that anything happened. They got it back in time. Microsurgery. Chuva is microsurgery. Chuva is bringing that limb back to Hashem and sewing it back on. And then if there's pain, put a cast on, put a splint on, put a band-aid on, you can fix it. But if the person is totally cut off and they have no connection to Yiddishkeit anymore, then that's chas v'shalom, a phantom pain. So don't think anyone in this room that when you disconnect yourself from Hashem, He doesn't care because, come on, He's got a million other girls. You can have ten fingers if you lose one. It's the biggest tragedy in the world. You can have ten toes if you lose one. It's the biggest tragedy in the world. So I know it's very late and I know I always say I'm going to end. But if I don't say this story to you, you're just, you're just missing a big... You're missing a big chunk. So he said, he ended up, Rabbi Lazer Brody, he said this story, I was, I was on the floor. He said that, I said the whole Dvatari had to show you how Hashem works with Tikkunim, Gilgulim, Ayol, this whole thing, how to make someone come back. He said the following story. He said, this is Rabbi Feldman, I think, in Cleveland, whatever, and he teaches in a college, uh, not, not a religion, uh, a Goyesha college. And he decided to give a class on Emuna. 25 half Jews, half not Jews, I don't even know who was in the class. So this rabbi gets up in this college out, and I don't know where, and he says, who in my class ever heard of the word emuna? 
These kids never even heard of Hashem. They never heard of anything. One kid raises his hand and he says, Amuna, total belief in God. The rabbi standing is like, oh my goodness, we have a religious kid in the class, but he's not. He says, did you go to yeshiva? He goes, no. Are you, your parents religious? He goes, no. He says, how did you ever hear the word Amuna? He says, rabbi, you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. Now he says, get up in front of the class and tell us how you ever heard of the word of the Muna. He says, I'm a Jew, and two of my friends in this class are Jews. We don't know nothing about nothing. My grandmother bought me a little charm, a Mag and David. That's all I know about Judaism, is I'm wearing, I wear a Mag and David. He says, one night, me and my two Jewish friends went to Alabama, to a bar. We're going to go get ourselves a bunch of beers. He says, we sit down in Alabama, in this bar, I'm wearing my Mag and David, and this girl waiter, right, barmaid, comes over and says, yo, can I get you boys a drink? So yeah, get us three beers. She goes, hey, man, you're wearing a Mag and David. You must be Jewish. He goes, yup. She goes, well, check this out, man. She puts out her hand, and there's a tattoo on her hand, E-M-U-N-A. The guy goes, what's that? She goes, that's Emuna. <laughs> she goes, you're not going to believe how I got this tattoo. She says, tell me, how'd you get this tattoo? She says, well, she says, I was going out with this boy, and he was a big lawyer from a big law firm. Man, that boy was rich. He drove himself a big car. He was rich, and we was in love. We was going to get married. I was going to have a big house on the top of a hill with a big fat car. I was going to have a Mercedes. I was going to have a mink. I was going to have diamonds all over. That boy was my man. He just upped himself and walked out of my life. She said, I was broken. My heart was broken. I was depressed. <laughs> it, life was over for me. She goes, the owner of this bar, he's a Jewish man. He said, whatever her name was, Colette, I don't know what her name was, Eileen. She said, Eileen. You look depressed. She goes, yeah, my man, you just up and left me, man. She said, you look very depressed, Eileen. I just read a book. I just got a book from one of my friends. It's called The Garden of the Moon, from some rabbi. It's a true story. It's a true story. She said, Eileen, you read this book, you're never going to be depressed ever. She said, boys, I took that book. I read it from one end to the other. Good book. I didn't believe one word that rabbi said. She said, two weeks later, I get a phone call from my girlfriend. She says, Eileen. She goes, what? She goes, you read about your boyfriend in the newspaper? She goes, my boyfriend was in the newspaper? She says, yeah. They just caught him. 12 kilos of cocaine. That boy was no lawyer. That boy was a drug dealer, man. He was just doing drugs. He ain't no lawyer. He needs a lawyer. She turned around. She said, I looked up at heaven. I said, God, that book that that man wrote, that's right. You always watching us all the time. I thought that was a lawyer. That was a drug dealer. I would have been dead the rest of my life. I would have been in jail. God, whatever that rabbi wrote is true. I have a moona. She said, I up myself. I went to the tattoo king down here. I said, you put a tattoo on my arm. You write E-M-U-N-A, Amuna. <laughs> You see how far Akadosh Baruch Hu has to go to get to get three Jewish boys who are going to get a beer in Alabama to, to get connected to this book. Of course, when he heard about the book, he got the book, and that changed his whole life. Hashem never gives up on his children, ever, ever, ever. For, for Chava, he had to go through everything he went through, that Chava could be masaking what she did. For these three boys drinking a beer, he had to have this girl go through everything that she went through in order to bring them back. Kush was always there. Sometimes he plays hide and seek. Just got to look for him. If you look for him, he'll show himself. You'll find him. Sometimes the shower curtain will move a little bit and you realize that there's something behind that shower curtain that you want to find. You just have to look. We're so busy on our computers 
and our cell phones and our TVs and our DVDs and the news and everything we're so wrapped up in that we don't get a chance to even look for him. Don't ever say that I've called on him and he didn't answer. I've called on him and then I've turned around. I just want fast, like putting it in the, you know, God, now, front, center, where are you? It doesn't work that way. It's not kosher delight. <laughs> it's not steak sandwich in two minutes. It's not popcorn. You know, when I was growing up, you know what it took to make popcorn? Oh, my goodness, a frying pan with oil. We got some ice and the stuff was popping all over the kitchen. You had to pick it up and put it back in now. Pop it in, two minutes, microwave, with butter, without butter, extra salt, low salt, just pop it in. You guys don't even know what it means to look for something. You don't even know what it means to look for something. Everything is brought to you. You don't have to look for something. But there's one thing out there that's just worth the work. And that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that's Amuna. And if you look for him, something will show up smiling. It may not be a gopher, but it'll be something. Shabbat Shalach and Bracha and a good week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.